2: Rolling. okay then. Thank you very much indeed.
3: To say rolling, doesn't mm. it have to be a camera?
2: No, not really. Well, in the old days you had um, manual tape machines. Not the word manual. Wow. What's the word? I well, what's not digital is... Analog. Analog. Analog tape ah, machines. Dumb that, yeah, I know. It's <laughs> terrible.
3: There's a thing you can have, like an illness, where you forget words all the time.
2: Yes, I know it's called old age. No, no, no. Like when you can have,
3: when you can have all the time. Like so, you can most of the time you can speak normally and whatever. But your brain doesn't work the same way to remember words or something. Because I talked about this when. So um, there's this thing that you can't see pictures in your head. So you, um, you just inside your head if you close your eyes. You know, if I get you to close your eyes Mm, and I'm like, think of um, a green field there's a big tree with apples on it mm. and there's flowers all in the garden and stuff. Yeah. Then you can see it in your head. I can head. see that yeah. now looking but, at it. So there's people in the world who can't see anything when they close their eyes and mm. they can't think of anything. So they really struggle to remember the names of people. So they can remember someone's name but they can't put it together with a face.
2: I think in a milder form, what that is, is just old age. No, I mean, no, that, no, no. I constantly... No,
3: because people who are young get that.
2: I saw... Maybe, they do.
3: No, you're born with it. That and then me. people usually discover they have it when they're in sort of twenty twenty one or something. Mm.
2: I saw a, a woman getting out of a car. I saw
3: a woman. <laughs>
2: I saw a woman getting out of a car uh, in a public car park in, in Wakefield, and I knew. And I said hello, and she said hello, and I walked on, and I knew I knew her from somewhere. And for ages and ages and ages, I was I could not work out two or three. I tried to work out all the places that I might have seen this woman and then on uh, last friday i went to london i got the train from kergate station and i've not been to kergate station for you know a month or two two months three months i've always got the train from uh, westgate station it's not going to be madly interesting for people is, outside this is towards. a really
3: this is an absolutely scintillating it is anyway, story. I went and in i'm there. on the edge of my seat
2: i know i went in there and it was the woman um, who serves in the coffee bar in Kergate Station. And
3: those are the kind of thrilling endings. <laughs> <laughs> it was so it's boring. But it, no,
2: it is. Oh, that was boring. I agree with you. But it is so true that, you, you know, you can see someone. You know the face. Janet and I, your mother and I, ages and ages, Sorry, and ages ago. Yes, ages and ages ago. We're walking down the, uh, down the street in Leeds and we saw this guy and we thought... Oh, he's in a soap opera he's he's quite a well-known actor he's he's definitely a certain we went through all the soaps and we were trying to think who the guy was and from what soap he was until sunday of that week when he came round with a chinese takeaway (laughs) another thrilling thrilling story you know what i mean
3: it's the cliffhangers (laughs) in the way you tell it
2: <laughs> well i thought that was quite an amusing story that is uh, that t- is
3: more funny it's
2: more funny thank you well let's uh, see that we're getting some sound on this uh, do the sound check now uh, do you want a quality joke here
3: yeah
2: i've downloaded this new app it's brilliant it tells you what to wear what to eat and if you've put on weight it's called the daily mail no? Um, when I was younger... Yeah. yeah that's it's not fr- hilarious. Well, that's from a lady comedian called Haley Ellis. Um, oh, that's
3: why women can't make jokes. Yeah, they
2: can't really. This is, a, this is a this is a man comedian called Yee Annie, and his joke is, when I was younger, I felt like a man trapped inside a woman's body. Then I was born. No? Okay, well, this, we've got...
3: Neither of those are good. Are they no. still the ones from the Fringe Festival?
2: These are... No, these are sort of... Because I know you like a more cerebral joke... Uh, I've downloaded. I, I did a. I did a search on cerebral intelligent jokes, and these are intelligent jokes. Apparently,
3: I like a bit. That's what I like.
2: You like a bit. Well, that was a bit about seeing people and not knowing who they are. Yeah.
3: Should
2: we start? I mean, you could call it that. You could call it that, couldn't you? Should we start? Yeah. yeah. Now, here's an interesting idea, Ruth. Uh, children should be allowed to choose their teachers. As far as the selection goes of new teachers when you get the interview Oh, board,
3: right. I thought you meant they got to select them every year.
2: No, yeah, they should be allowed to. This is according to a guy called Sean Fenton. He's the chairman of the Headmaster and Headmistresses Conference, which represents uh, private schools, you know, posh schools, Winchester, Eton, schools like that. And he's launching a campaign for children to sit on interviewing panels and select... That's n- not
3: unusual. Well,
2: no, it's fairly unusual, though, isn't it? And select new teachers. Um, we all know from our own school days that students can sniff out a bad teacher at 50 paces. We did it when we were at school. I don't know if
3: it's bad teacher, I think we must say weak.
2: Well, yes, maybe it's weak. Uh, but that is a bad teacher, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. uh, We did it when we were at school, and today's school children have not lost that instinct. They get it right. When Children's-
3: I was at St Mary's, that's my primary school, mm-hmm. I was a in on year three school council. Still, my biggest achievement. I was mm-hmm. elected, obviously democratically. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they were getting a new like year one teacher or something, we all sat with all the different candidates for the year one teacher oh, did to select you? the person. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure at Beckett's I wasn't on any kind of school council. But I'm pretty sure that when they were That's getting your high a new school, yeah. yeah, this is high school. I think that they did. I think that when they were getting a new teacher. Maybe when they were getting a new deputy head or something, or a new drama teacher, I'm pretty sure that they did have a group of students who interviewed the teacher and met the teachers. All oh, right, I met, met the candidates, met the, the candidates. Yeah. There's... So this
2: was they had a, they, Did they have a say in yeah, where yeah. they were so, chosen?
3: Yeah, yeah. So there'd be. Um, I think there was like three options for who it might be. So they have probably already whittled it down a bit, and the, these were their favourite three or favourite four or something. And then they, they would run a lesson for this group of kids or something like that, or they would just meet and chat and. Get to ask them questions, and then the the students would tell the teachers, "Oh, this is, we liked this one, we didn't like this one, we thought this one was a fun teacher, whatever." And then the teacher would take that into account when making their decision.
2: Maybe it's it's not that revolutionary. It's, it sounded revolutionary to me, but, no, but I don't obviously think it not. Is. Okay. Now, last week, Ruth. I had a cutting here about sharks and you said you had some interesting stuff about
3: sharks. What was your shark stuff?
2: Did you not... My shark stuff wasn't that interesting. It was just a shark at my kayak. Basically, a man has described his... It's
3: about tra- as interesting as your... Um,
2: yeah, precisely. Well, yes, but it, it hap- story. It just happened to be stuck on a piece of paper. I wasn't going to read it out, actually. No. I wasn't going to do that. Um, shark and my kayak. A man has described his terror after a 13-foot shark bit a hole in his kayak and then circled him as it began to sink. Um, that
3: is scary. And he survived?
2: Yeah, he survived. How did he... Oh, well, I'll tell you the story. And, uh, well, I
3: mean, you can't... That's a genuine... Hook of a story shark ate my kayak
2: but I I didn't bring it in to discuss with you particularly no no but I just
3: just want to know so he got out
2: yes I cut it out of the paper because I thought it was interesting Carl Roberts 31 a married father of two was fishing off Moffat Beach 50 miles north of Brisbane when he was thrown into the water and surfaced to see a large tiger shark
3: right just skip to the end
2: skip to the end it was the seventh major shark attack in Australian waters in eight weeks prompting calls for action including culling
3: you see, this is the problem. We demonise the sharks. Mm. And it's really bad, just because they're not cute.
2: But also, they're rather dangerous, aren't they?
3: Yeah, but more people die from hippers than sharks. Yes, More mean? people die from vending machines than sharks.
2: Do they? Can you say that for sure? You I'm not 100%, kind of but <laughs>
3: I'm pretty sure. A lot of people die from vending machines. It, they fall, or, the fall, out they of fall over on people. Yeah. Um, in earthquakes, they fall over, or they just fall over because someone's... Rattling it.
2: So I'm trying to get the... uh, Obesity. Obesity, yeah.
3: So sharks. Sharks in zoos. Mm -hmm. This is specifically the great white shark. There's been constantly people have been trying to get them into aquariums because obviously they're a major drive for people to go to aquariums because that's the amazing, like, massive, huge thing. So I'm going to tell you something about gills now. Mm -hmm. Um, So fish and stuff can breathe with their gills when they're static. They just push the water in and out. Mm -hmm. But... um, And they use their, like, mouth thing to do that. But a great white shark has to be moving through water to allow the oxygen to go through its gills. So it has to be constantly swimming. So obviously it makes transportation really difficult because you can't just put it in a normal tank. You have to put it into one of these special ones. And then, in 2004, the Monterey Bay Aquarium transported... trans. trans
2: transported yeah, yeah.
3: transported a great white shark and proved it was possible to keep a shark for at least 6 months they got but they had to get a shark that was less than a year old so cuz they're so big so this one was quite small um and then after 6 months they decided to release it cuz it is killed it had killed two of the other tank mates and then over the next 6 years the aquarium displayed another five baby great white sharks um and they kept just dying but they kept on presenting them which mm. is obviously terrible because they know that they can't can't keep them alive and when they did release one of the sharks they had um, a tracking thing on it and it just disappeared and they clearly died from its injuries and um, because the great white sharks are used to swimming such big distances and they've got these really flat faces so they just go into the sides of the aquarium and they get these really bad sores on their face it's really cruel for animals So in 2010, they just stopped displaying great whites. And so that was really good. And they were like, we're not doing this anymore because it's clearly terrible for Mm. sharks. And then in 2016, um, a great white shark had appeared at a Japanese aquarium. And then that one died within three days. And so now these Japanese aquariums are going to show great whites again. Yeah. It's bad.
2: Yes. I mean, it's sort of, by the way, uh, the fish's mouth, I think is just called the mouth. You don't have to call it that mouth thing.
3: No, because it's more of like a...
2: Well, whatever it looks like, that is the fish's mouth. I don't think you say it's not like the mouth thing.
3: Baby fish mouth.
2: Baby fish mouth. It's not the mouth thing. That story is sort of like the story of zoos. It's a sort of exaggerated version of what zoos are all about.
3: Yeah, zoos, Um, bad. (laughs) Yeah. But then what happens with like animal... You know, like animal sanctuaries are. Well, you know the I mean? thing
2: is, if you t- if you transplant animals or sea life from their natural environment, there's mm. got to be an element of uh, of cruelty to it. Yeah, there's got, there's got to be. You well, know. The,
3: did you see the um, pictures of when it was? But in in Scotland, I think in in a zoo, and they had the polar bears, and then it snurred, and all the polar bears were like really really happy with the snow and everyone was like look how cute the polar bears are in the snow and someone's like tweeted or commented on it and was like oh it's as if that's how they're meant to live
2: yeah <laughs> it's well like, but, yeah. but but the big but is that some of these people who've done sort of great work like the woman with the gorillas and uh, David Attenborough oh, yeah, what's their like name? Her? Good Simpson's Fosse, Fosse, I think it was. So the woman with the gorillas and uh, David Attenborough and mm. all sorts of people like that who've done fantastic work in conservation probably got their first glimpse of uh, of some of these animals that they've worked hard to preserve in zoos. Yeah. So you've got a balance, I think, between...
3: And some of uh, some animals, like so the white rhino... There's only three left in um, the whole of the world. Mm. There's only three, three of them left. There might be three now, but there was two for a time, and then they had to use IVF to, because mm. the the male one died, um, and those are only alive because they're in captivity. Yeah, precisely.
2: So then, yeah, what? So zoos do fantastic work conservation. I think at the end of the day, there's good zoos and bad zoos, uh, and obviously the great white shark, the the case that you're talking about. They shouldn't be in the zoos under any circumstances because no. they can't survive. They can't survive pro- yeah. properly in uh, in aquariums. But neither of, can like the say,
3: the, the, whale the, the
2: whale shark. What's a whale shark?
3: like a shark but like a whale.
2: I've never heard of a whale shark. Mm, Is big. that a real thing?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is that a real thing? No, I've just made it up here. I'll get you a picture of a whale shark. <laughs> I just make up animals. See, look, it's like a shark and a whale. <laughs>
2: I'm just wondering what your aim is in life. Is it happiness?
3: <laughs> wow. <laughs> you can't just come out with that. I'm not prepared.
2: Well, let me tell you the let me tell you the, Oh, you've
3: got options. <laughs> oh,
2: you've got options here. Do you want to be happy in 2019 or satisfied? A Nobel Prize-winning economist has suggested that you may have to choose between the two. Daniel Kahneman, Professor Emeritus at Princeton University, was a leading researcher on the economics of happiness, but stopped when he began to suspect that uh, humans did not strive to be happy at all. Instead, they wanted something very different, which is often completely the opposite, satisfaction. Professor Kahneman devoted much of his career to a tradition begun by Aristotle, who argued that happiness is the ultimate purpose in life. However, this geezer said recently that uh, Aristotle was wrong. Humans actually want to maximise their satisfaction with themselves and with their lives. That's Um,
3: really interesting.
2: Yes. I think this is probably aimed more at adults than than you, to be honest. Because there's the old thing that um, Gore Vidal said, that said uh, something on the lines of, Uh, When any of my uh, friends fail, it brings great satisfaction.
3: Every time one of my friends has success, a little piece of me dies.
2: That's the one. Well well remembered. No,
3: I think about that all the time. Because I think it's entirely true.
2: Yeah. Which is, it's selfish, but... It's selfish and you can't course, help how
3: you feel as long as you don't express it it's
2: fine. yeah keep quiet about it but <laughs> no you i mean you're quite right that would buy into what he's saying because you're more satisfied because you come the whole time you're comparing yourself mm. against you, you know your peer group whatever it is and while you're comparing yourself against them um if they're all having fantastic success yeah. even though you might say oh i'm so pleased for so and so they're doing so well at the same time, if they're not doing so well, you think oh, I'm quite pleased with myself. I'm yeah, doing I mean it's the same as the, uh, than everybody else. I'll tell you another thing that he said on in this sort of satisfaction versus happiness debate. He said, for instance, we often buy holidays in anticipation of gaining memories, as much for the enjoyment at the time. This might, exp- mm. do you know what I mean? This may explain yeah, why think- walking holidays, which often involve challenging periods of discomfort, as popular as beach holidays. Yeah. So in other words, you're looking for something that creates... I mean, these days it's obviously... Exager- well, it's exaggerated yeah. with Instagram and all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read a thing about some... Uh, really partially elaborate food that somebody had had and said this is food for sharing not with a spoon but with filters yeah which you know sums up oh. exactly what he's saying so you need to be satisfied with what you're doing really rather than the actual emotion of happiness
3: with the whole um, kind of accumulation of memories even if something is not good at the time you can think wow it's going to be a great memory and that's one of the things that get so uh, i think an example of it is like nights out that are gross and not fun, and they're not a great time. But they're all in the they're all in the quest to accumulate memories, yeah. and so you can think back. And even if you're not having a good time, oh well, I've got a really great story to tell. This will make a really good tweet. Those I don't, I might have mentioned this before because it's one of my favourite quotes. A woman who she's kind of like a comedian and on the internet and stuff. She said, um, "So like the comedy is tragedy plus time." Thing. Mm, yes. Yeah. Which is a really famous thing, and she said, "As I get um, older, I just keep decreasing the time. Something sad happens to me in two minutes. Later, it's a tweet nowadays because of social media and stuff. Anything that is not happy can be turned into something positive mm. if you think of a funny spin on it. Yeah. And that's like why. So I think that's why comedy that draws on personal experience that's sad is so popular.
2: It's like the other the other night we will explain your uh, your elder sister. It's her birthday. We went out for a birthday meal." So um, when we had this birthday meal, my wife's uh, sea bass was cold, hashtag first world problem. But it was cold so we, we sent it back and it came back and all they'd done was microwave it and eventually we, we sent it back again. Um, in our sort of family WhatsApp group, lots of banter about the uh, about the very miserable sea bass that we had in this, uh, in this restaurant. Um, hashtag first world problems again. But we got, we got lots out of that.
3: Do you want to hear about R. Kelly?
2: I'd love to hear about R. Kelly. Now, have you
3: heard this in the news?
2: No, I haven't. I, I'm I, I, so
3: surprised The only not thing I know this. about
2: R. Kelly is he did a thing, a thing called um, I Wish I Could Fly, was it?
3: I Believe I Can Fly and the igni- Ignition remix.
2: The Ignition remix I'm not familiar with, but I believe Oh, I that's can... what I thought
3: was the most famous, yeah. but anyway. so But you've not heard about this in mainstream media? No. That's absolutely crazy. So R. Kelly's a really famous R&B singer. Mm. He's scored six US number one albums with seven um, more reaching the top five. His hits include Bump and Grind, I believe I can Fly," and the Ignition remix. Right. So he's really 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 famous and I can't believe you've not heard about this. So he's been accused, there's been a lot of as doc as they've been coined.
2: doc not heard of that Documentary
3: ac- accusation accuseries, doc
2: Right, so this is like a, a drama doc or a... Yeah, they're yeah.
3: basically they are calling. They're documentaries about yeah. his people one of the one of them was called R. Kelly, Sex and Guilt or something like that. Sex
2: and Guilt, but the these would be on some Netflix type thing. Or, not on Netflix, I, I think they're
3: American. More. Oh,
2: like on the E Channel one of those. Maybe sort of cheap yeah, but they're proper America. they're
3: proper documentaries. Yeah. And um, but I can't believe you've not heard about this and it's not been in the mainstream media, which I think a lot of people have they're sort of docuseries. Off. Yeah, I mean that's not important to the story. No.
2: Well, it is. In that it's only important to the story in that the word doco or documentary is now being used. You know, or right, docuseries. But you get things like the film Best in Show, which is a really good film about uh, dog shows, was described as a spoof documentary because <laughs> you know you do that with people yeah, doing yeah, docs yeah. all the time.
3: And I think a lot of people have sort of called it out of this story not being in the mainstream media because the victims were black women and not white women and there's like an inherent racism in media and stuff so R Kelly has been accused of grooming a 14 year old girl as his sex pet During two years of dating Kelly, a woman called Kitty Jones um, says she was groomed by him and forced to have sex with him and others at least ten times in a sex dungeon.
0: Oh my goodness.
3: Um, It's like awful. And in 2008, Kelly was found not guilty of child pornography charges after he was accused of filming and photographing the sexual encounters with this 14-year-old girl. But there's also been other instances, other girls who have stepped forward and stuff Despite this, his sales have surged. He's he's made more money since, and um, it's really terrifying that it's not
2: got into the mainstream. Yeah, it's not
3: and it's not made any change. And a lot of women are saying. So when it was like, was it Bill Cosby?
2: Bill Cosby. When all that came
3: out, it was white women, and so people paid more attention because all the victims in this R. Kelly case are black women. People so aren't who is R. Kelly? Is R.
2: Kelly? I mean, he's I've, an R.
3: B. singer. He's really, really famous.
2: Is it, is it? Well, I know because I remember the record and I've heard the name, obviously. But is he sort of like a rapper or a hip hop artist? Is would you say
3: an R. Like an R. B. singer?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering if there's a different set of values for. Um, well yeah I R- think that's R&B, the idea and so, yeah, R&B singers and rappers You know you all think You, know, you just listen to the lyrics of the songs
3: mm-hmm. but, but I think there's a difference between it being In art with like consenting adults Than it is with 14 year old girls mm-hmm. And so Drake he's not really Said that what R. Kelly's done is like abhorrent or anything, and then because of the R. Kelly stuff, this disturbing video of Drake kissing and like stroking this 17 year old girl on stage at a 2010 concert has like resurfaced after the R. Kelly um, docuseries um, has sparked debate about him inappropriate conduct by entertainers and how the power can be used and so yeah and there's Drake kissing and he says stuff like I like the way your breast feels against my chest and there's it's like absolutely disgusting is the video considering she's a 17 year old girl and he at the time I think he was only 23 but like it's because of the power balance he's got a song as well called teenage fever which is basically like glorifying how much he likes teenage girls And so a lot of people have been saying, like, we should be speaking out against these things.
2: The other argument is that there should be due process. Before, you know, however many shows there are on an entertainment channel Mm. saying, you know, that that this guy is an abuser or whatever, there should be due process.
3: There's a lot of evidence. But I don't know whether there's been a court case. There's a criminal investigation
2: Mm. going on. Well, you should allow these investigations. You know, these investigations... I mean, clearly in the case of R. Kelly and Drake and all these other guys you think to yourself when well, you only listen to the songs you only listen to the songs yeah. to know that but it's they're... a different
3: thing for having a song versus having like victims
2: yes I agree with you forward. but it's not you know it's very much a, you know dog bites man story it's not a man bites dog story what you know, years ago if a story was um, if a story is considered to be no big surprise you know oh, in, your, okay. in your generation it would be no shit Sherlock um, you know R. Kelly is uh, a bit of a bit of a sex pest Mm, bump and grind. What You know, what are you... What, you're not exactly yeah, surprised. As people have said about Woody Allen. Wow, what a surprise. Woody Allen seems to have a taste for younger women. Yeah, true. Um, when he made the film Manhattan... Well, that's what they say about Drake.
3: No yeah. surprise he's got a taste for teenage girls when he's written a song called Teenage Fever.
2: No, there isn't. So what do we do? There's there's no, there's no surprise. There sh- it, sh- it, sh- it shouldn't happen.
3: But also, it should get... Um, if someone... if. I think there is a race issue in it.
2: Hmm.
3: I think there really is. Yes, I
2: think there is because I think a lot of the, a lot of black artists do make these uh, do make these songs. That's that not what that meant. <laughs> No, I know it's what you meant. It's not what you meant, but that would be the reason. The reason it's more of an interesting story if there's a story about Cliff Richard being an abuser, which he's not, of course. But there was uh, an investigation. You know, the, but yeah. there was a rumor, and there was this outrageous accusation. No, know and it's
3: a bigger story. It's a bigger story. Sheeran, you know, precisely. Yeah.
2: If Ed Sheeran or the Archbishop of Canterbury um, is accused of uh, sexual abuse, yeah, it's a bigger story mean, than if some rapper up. who's made a song called "Bump and Grind"
3: or whatever. Yeah, no, I get that. That's that's... That's the way journalism works and stuff. But with the R. Kelly thing, I think that a lot of people are saying that like no one's dragging him down because people expected it, but that's still not right.
2: It's still not right, but I don't see a solution to that given the way the media works. We'll take a short break and then have uh, a little bit of music.
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact...
2: Should we start with mine this week? Mm hmm. It'll be something you're familiar with. Uh, it's Blue Bayou and Roy Orbison. Aww. I'm going back someday, come one be. Yes, I know you'll know the song. Yeah. Um, and you'll know. Do you know anything about Roy Orbison?
3: Yeah, a bit. I mean, I know that he did Crying as well.
2: He did Crying, which became a sort of uh, bit of a sleeper hit. It was not a hit at the time. He huh. went through a lot of tragic times, actually, Roy Orbison. The reason I played it was we were talking about your older sister, uh, or your oldest sister, who celebrated her birthday this week. And you know I love that song, Blue by You, by mm-hmm. uh, Roy Orbison. When, a few years ago, well, I had an operation, I was in hospital for a bit. I came out, and you, because when you've been in hospital and an operation, you're not allowed to drive. And on the first journey I was driving, I thought, brilliant. I can, one of my great pleasures, driving the car and uh, putting in a, a CD that I like. And I put in uh, Blue By You. And I said, I'll just love this song so much. And your uh, oldest sister oh, do you want it at your funeral? So I thought <laughs> it was rather sweet that I just made hospital operation and a uh, funeral was being planned. But uh, Roy Orbison had a, a really unbelievable load of tra- not just his career, because in America he was after... Probably after the 60s, after about 64, 65, he couldn't get arrested, had very few hits. Came over to the UK, was hugely, much more popular in the UK than he ever was in America. He married this woman called Claudette, and they were big uh, motorbike fans. They got divorced because of her infidelities, they got back together again, and then she got killed in a motorbike accident while while he was out touring during a tour of uh, england in 68 he received the news that his home in uh, tennessee had burned down and his two eldest sons had died in this uh, in this fire and he died of a heart attack himself at the age of fifty-two.
3: That's um,
2: young. It is young, and he died just after he joined the travelling Wilburys. Which have you heard of the travelling Wilburys? No. I'll play them on another week. So, w- what have you chosen?
3: Mine's a song called "Star Child" by Elu i I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but I'm well, it laugh.
2: is interesting as when I saw it, Elu uh, J. Um, spelled E L U J A Y. I thought, I wonder if that's sort of like a pun. On the American president, LBJ, I wonder if it should be pronounced L-U-J, rather than sure. L-U-J. Who knows, but let's listen. She's on my mind. She's on my mind. Won't you come down? So what can you tell me about L.U.J. or so L.U.J.?
3: From he's a singer-songwriter from Oakland, California. Um, he's 22 years old. Hmm. And he had a really rich musical upbringing, it says, uh, where the sounds of D'Angelo and, like, Earth, Wind and Fire could be heard floating through the household on any given day. But his music is, like, quite soul Soulful. Yes. When and I it's, listened it's to that,
2: do you know what I thought straight away? I didn't think Earth, Wind and Fire. I thought there's a man who's heard quite a few Stevie Wonder albums. Yeah, probably. It's so much like something off Songs in the Key of Life or one of those famous Stevie Wonder albums. But I albums. like it
3: because it takes that kind of Stevie Wonder, like really classic-like soul, but it's kind of he switches between rap and singing really effortlessly. Ah, I didn't
2: know it's any rap in it. I listened to um, and
3: Maybe not... Um, I don't remember in this song, but he No, does. I don't think there
2: is because I listen to it other songs, was, Yeah, he I, does i listened through to the song and I thought...
3: But also his singing is not like... It's not the same style singing as Stevie Wonder would do. It's a similar feel and similar turn to the music, but it's not the same style singing, if you know what I mean.
2: I think it is. Really? Yeah, to me that did sound like uh, a Stevie Wonder album track, a a sort of lesser-known Stevie Wonder album track. But, um, Mm. yeah, interesting. Well, I was pleased that it wasn't uh, wasn't rap.
0: Well, there you go. That
2: always pleases me. Let's have a look at the emails, uh, Ruth. Not loads of them this week. Uh, Steve talked about uh, Brexit, which I thought was quite interesting because we both watched the uh, Brexit drama written by James the Graham, war. the Uncivil War. Um, it's really um, good. Oh, it's brilliant. But we, we we were saying last week that what's emerged from the debates since the uh, Brexit vote mm-hmm. is the fact that we didn't really know much about it. That it was much no, more complicated. I still don't
3: really truly no. understand what the EU does.
2: No. Much more complicated than than we thought. Mm-hmm. Steve has written to us. Steve is more my sort of generation than your generation. He says it's only... Wow, with a
3: name like Steve.
2: Yeah. It's only complicated because of the way the EU is involved. But there's nothing that can't be worked out. The world won't end and people will still be educated. And with visas, if need be, will be able to travel or work uh, but in a more controlled system uh, I'd be happy with no deal because I think the EU have tried to bully us again uh, partly because too many of our MPs have uh, not bowed to the will of the people and he, he goes into a lot of detail about it but he's obviously he's um, in favour uh, of leaving under, under any terms whether it's a, a no but deal or if, a, a deal
3: if we have no deal at all how does trade and, like, borders work and stuff? There's
2: no point in asking me. Dunder. I know that the majority of people that I respect in terms of journalists and economists and such like say that it would be a disaster if we go out without a deal. So I'm just...
3: People to- who are truly trained and have, like, you know, who know, like, ec- economics, because not many people do. The, the general public certainly don't. They say it'll be a disaster to leave, and I'm inclined to listen to experts on stuff that I don't understand.
2: Yes, me too. That's why so, that's why the referendum was such a bad idea, uh, in my view. And and watching that James Graham drama on uh, Channel Four last night uh, didn't lead me to uh, to change that view in any way whatsoever. The referendum yeah, there shouldn't was a really, have been a
3: referendum. It Was
2: all. a really bad idea, and eventually it sort of hinged on who were, were the cleverer in handling the Oh yeah there's no the,
3: doubt that the Leave campaign wasn't extremely clever.
2: Yeah. But, I mean but that, yeah. so that's what it hinged on the fact that they could they had these people like Cambridge Analytica and the other people whose name uh, something like yeah something like that who were able to work out via algorithms and such like mm. where to where to place their message and how effectively yeah. to place their message
3: on the side of buses. <laughs>
2: Well, the side of buses help, but I mean also uh, the internet and the uh, take back control. Not take control, take back control, as if it had been stolen from us by the EU. Take back control. Very, very clever. And if we get a second referendum, the slogan, I'm told, is going to be, tell them again. Are you
3: allowed to say that?
2: Yes, I am allowed to say that. I think uh, it's only uh, speculation. But if the slogan is, tell them again, it will buy into the same thing, which at the end of the day as was proven brilliantly by that drama it's nothing to do with Europe at all no, no it's to do not. with the way that the country's changing and it's to do with political unrest
3: it was either you or maybe a newspaper said it at the time they were like <laughs> the, the vote, people voted leave because they wanted to break a few windows but they accidentally tore the house down
2: mm, it wasn't me who said that that would be a newspaper I yeah think. I think so um, what I said was people voted leave because for once they had a chance to vote no you know normally you have to vote Mm, Labour or mm, Conservative, you have to vote positively for something. But this was a chance to say no.
3: Well, that's the, the thing: yeah. the throwing throwing rocks at the windows. Is
2: throwing rocks at the windows. Yeah.
3: Maybe I came up with that. I should have just said it <laughs> and not said should. it it's from <laughs> a newspaper. <circuit. laughs> speaking about um political unrest and disenchantment and Mm. stuff there was an article by Anne helen peterson she was saying that for millennials there is no existence outside work and the line between work and life is so blurred that the idea of work-life balance is not is it's never even been an aspiration because the idea that you just have to work all the time And i think it's part of the whole like gig economy Mm. because you just have to work all the time there's nothing You can do about it. And also, with like Instagram, your Instagram has to show you as fun and cultured to maintain interest, but not drunk enough to appear like that's all you do. And your Twitter should show your connection to current affairs, but not alienate people. And then your emails follow you home. And so, you've got to be on your phone 24/7 and you've got to be constantly working because there's no time to ever switch off. And so this has led to like this millennial burnout, as she's like coined it. And then she talks a bit about the term adulting. Yes, adulting.
2: Yeah. We, we talked about that. We've done it. We've yeah. done adulting. So we've uh, done adulting. Yeah, adulting is when you have to get a mortgage or insure yeah. um, And so it's your car, become a things. common
3: thing. And she said... I
2: hate adulting. I still hate adulting. This time of the year, for people who are freelancers like me, you have to do your tax returns. And I had to go through my stuff yesterday and i had to print out my bank statements and all that and i
3: hate doing not that fun.
2: that's why people pay ridiculous amounts of money to account i say people me pay ridiculous amounts of money to accountants just so they don't have to adult
3: but anyway she said that personally she finds the term adulting loathsome because it conjures up deliberate infantilization and it makes millennials as this not real subcategory of mm. adults which is not true and she says that the reason for this, like, burnout is more than... It's a, the thing that we've kind of spoken about a lot is that just people are generally unhappier in the world at the moment. This, this burnout is caused by less by individual malaise and it's more a symptom of a massive crisis of, like, capitalism. If people feel uncertain, they feel like they have to work all the time, which means they have no work-life balance, which leads to this burnout.
2: But, but i, I think, think there's, very, there's a very true what you say
3: millennial issue of being constantly switched on which i think is the same as in my generation of a, a social burnout so i think millennials face like a professional burnout because you constantly have to be checking your emails and you and millennials have more jobs in a lifetime do you know what i mean you don't go into a career and then this is no, what true. you do for the rest of your life you have to constantly be moving from one thing to another and thinking about what's the next skill you've got to learn and stuff but i think that Gen- generation Z to younger, so nineteen and seventeen to nineteen years old, face like a social burnout of having to be constantly on your phone and stuff, and a pressure of sharing things on Instagram. Well, no, you don't. Well, have no, to you, don't. On your phone. you don't. But it becomes a habit. Mm, I
2: know, but, uh, I it becomes
3: a habit. At not and you were so on your
2: phone during that gripping. Only for like two drama. seconds. What not you doing? on
3: your phone for two seconds? I didn't look at
2: my phone once. You do not. Yeah, but it's
3: to- because of it's. Habitual. Mm. It's difficult. It's We're like an addiction break out it. but it is an addiction. The same when you when you get. I can understand
2: how when you're not doing anything much, you're on your phone. But when you're watching a gripping drama, but you want to be a playwright, and he's he's the best playwright around at the moment, and there's a chance for you to learn from the uh, from the best, and you are on your phone. It's a disease.
3: Yeah, I'm it's,
2: diseased. <laughs> you're diseased. You certainly are. <laughs> meme of the week
3: this is funny but i don't know whether it's just funny because i really like a pun mm. or whether it's actually funny well,
2: well let's find so, out i
3: hate honest college boys that would be like prep school boys i guess Honest college boys would be like the smart boys at universities okay. so like durham uni boys or something yeah. um i hate honors college boys i just asked this guy hey why aren't koalas considered theirs and he hits me with they're marsupials Shut up, Ned. The answer to the joke is they don't have the qualifications.
2: Qualifications. That's you, good. That is good. The qualifications. That's <laughs> okay. Got away with it this week. We done? I think we're done. Uh, thank you very much indeed for listening, everybody. Um, we'll be back uh, next week with more stuff. If you, oh, we've not plugged any of the. Ad- oh, uh, oh, I'll do it now. We'll plug some of that. I'll tell you. First of all, we'll say because we've not been plugging subscribe and like and you know retweet and all the stuff that everybody yeah, says people the,
3: do it if they do it and people they, won't do it if they're not going to well, do I it. Know, I don't think it's saying something it's, makes people do it.
2: No, it doesn't. But I, well, I'm not saying I'm, it's there. I'm if asking. You want it. I'm pleading. How about that? Do you think pleading helps?
3: No people do that if they want to do it, but if they don't want to, you shouldn't. All right, awesome. like it,
2: subscribe it, blah blah blah. Now, go on.
3: The email, if you want to email in, is Martin and Ruth Podcast at Gmail dot com. Martin and Ruth Podcast at Gmail dot com.
2: That's Martin and Ruth Podcast at Gmail dot com. That's
3: three times you've heard it. Good things coming, Trace. Um, and this, you can hear the songs from this week and all the other weeks on the Spotify. Have you
2: put in last week? So yeah. You oh, we have actually. You? Okay. Okay. Yeah.
3: There. One or
2: two missing, but y- still. <laughs> <laughs> so gonna give me a look. They're going the car
3: here. You can search for Martin and Ruth or Ruthie, me and my dad, and that'll take you to the playlist or the profile.
2: And we'll um we'll meet you again next week.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.